This morning's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through to verse 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jonathan. Before we dive into the word this morning, please join me in prayer. We need the spirit of God to hear and respond to his word this morning. Lord Jesus, It is a blessing to be gathered here this morning as your people, united by our common faith. Fill me with your spirit anew this morning that I might preach your word faithfully and boldly by your power. May I speak nothing less and nothing more than the words you have for us to hear today. Please open all our hearts to receive the message you have for us, to respond in faith. Grant us to see your glory in scripture. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? Where we are challenged, give us the courage to press in and grow in our faith. Where we are encouraged, give us thankful hearts to praise your glorious name. Amen. I don't know about you, but the more I read the Bible, the more I feel like I'm missing something. The more I read how Paul and the rest of the biblical authors get excited about the promises of God, get excited about just talking about God, the more I see a difference between that response and my own. I often read the Bible a little bit underwhelmed with what I'm reading, sometimes half asleep. Now, what, what, what gives? What's the difference there? Why is their response so different? And I'm, I'm convinced that the problem is not that we don't see God, that we don't see his promises the way they do. It's clear in scripture and we hear it preached every Sunday. I think the problem is that we don't see the world, this present age, the way they do. If we want to rejoice in the message this morning, the message of Galatians, That through Christ, we have the promised inheritance. The promised inheritance God 
promised Abraham. If we're going to rejoice in that, we need to see this age, this world, as Paul, as Jesus, as the biblical authors did. If we're going to understand the good news of the gospel, we need to understand the bad news. Now, as we read Galatians, the bad news is actually probably not what you're thinking it is. If you're anything like me, you think of the bad news through the lens of Paul's letter to the Romans. In Romans, the bad news is that God's wrath is against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. In that context, in the context that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, have sinned, Paul preaches the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He preaches that Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins and deliver us from God's wrath. Yet, if we look at the opening verses of Galatians, Paul has a different bad news in view. In Galatians 1.4, Paul writes, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Do you catch the difference there? To deliver us from this present evil age. But do we really see this age as that evil? And I think that's the problem of why we don't see the promised inheritance with the same joy that the biblical authors do. Do we see this age as evil in the way that God does, that Paul does? And the whole book of Galatians and our message this morning provides an answer to the question, to this question, how are we delivered from this present evil age? When we read in Galatians of the, whole, of the promise of the Spirit, of all of God's promises, of the inheritance God promised Abraham, all of these are an answer to the question, how are we delivered from this present evil age? Now, let's, let's think about that for a moment. What does Paul see? What does God see that le- would lead him to write that this is a present evil age? Come on, we live in Canada. We have it pretty good, don't we? What's evil about a Starbucks on every block? About affordable health care? About comfortable homes? Good jobs? It really doesn't seem that evil. But I think if we think about it for a moment, we might begin to see what they see. Consider what we read in the news. Just this morning, I was reading an article about a sex trafficking ring that was busted in Florida. That exists throughout North America and the world. And every year, hundreds of thousands of lives are lost through just carelessness, malice, and yet, If we read in Genesis, God created every human life precious in his image. That's evil. In Canada, thousands suffer in poverty, worldwide even more. The list could go on and on and on. If we look around us, we can see a little bit of what it means for this to be an evil present age. But it's not just outside of us, it's also inside of us. I know I want to be a good husband. I want to love Nicole, my bride, as Christ 
loved his bride, the church. Yet at three o'clock in the morning, when our little baby Aaliyah is crying, I get angry and I feel the need to lecture her on how to be a better parent. You know, that's, that's evil. But more than that, God created this world a good world to be enjoyed under his rule, where we would live with him and enjoy this creation. Yet, aren't we all slaves to it? We're slaves of our paychecks, slaves of comfort, seeking security endlessly in the things we do, and we never find it. Looking inside of us, looking outside of us, I think we can see a little bit of what Paul and ultimately God sees when he calls this an evil age. Yet according to the Bible, all these things are just symptoms, symptoms of a greater evil. The greatest evil, the greatest thing that defines this age as a present evil age may just be the dozens of ways it whispers to us. You don't need Jesus. You don't need God. Things are pretty good, aren't they? Just distract yourself with a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. Work harder and you'll find happiness. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, wrote that the world at its best is the world at its worst. That is, the greatest evil of this age is when it's seemingly comfortable, when it seemingly satisfies all of our needs. Because then we buy into that lie that, yeah, I don't need God. I'm pretty good. What, what does God give me that I don't already have? The world is most evil when it distracts us from our ultimate need. When it distracts us from the lack of God in this world. When was the last time you saw God walking down the streets of Vancouver? Obviously never. Yet, according to Genesis and Revelation, the beginning and the end of the Bible... God created this world so that he might, might dwell in it with his people. He created it to live in it with us. The fact that we don't see God in this world reveals that something is profoundly wrong. What may be even more significant is not that we don't see God every day. It's the fact that we don't even lament his absence. Or think about the created world. How often when you're walking through the streets of Vancouver, when you're going to work, do you, are you just awestruck with wonder at the beauty of the created order? Are you driven to praise God our creator? For me, it would be maybe sometimes, maybe never. And yet according to the Bible, to not be caught up with awe, with wonder, to not be driven to worship God when we see his created world is a travesty. Let me take a moment to try to illustrate that. The 16th century reformer John Calvin described this world as a theater of God's glory. He described the created order, the earth and everything above it, as a theater that displays God's glory, his wonder, his grandeur. And yet, when we read the Bible, it tells us that in this theater, the managers of that theater, the audience, all those who are meant to enjoy it, have turned away from God, turned away from the performer this theater was created to glorify, and have just got caught up in the details of the theater itself. The creation, sorry, the creation is a, 
is an exquisitely designed theater, like a concert hall. Every detail is meant to magnify and amplify the wonders of God, to magnify his beauty, his character. And yet we get caught up in the little details. We are satisfied with the picture frame instead of the masterpiece it's meant to highlight. It was, this is a theater created to magnify one performer for all eternity, to showcase God and all his glory for our enjoyment. And yet we get caught up looking at the little fixtures of lights. We get caught up looking at the seats we're sitting in and not the one whom it's meant to showcase. In fact, we block him out of that theater. We don't even let him perform. We just say, don't bother coming in. We're content. We're content with this theater the way it is. In all these ways, Primarily in the absence of God, this is a present evil age. And the book of Galatians was written to show us an answer to that question. How are we delivered from this present evil age? Paul's answer throughout the book is that we're delivered by receiving through Jesus Christ God's promises to Abraham. When we look at our text this morning, God wants us to see a rather simple message. Through faith, we have the promised inheritance. What Paul is doing is he's drawing on an Old Testament passage to highlight that point, to highlight that indeed Christians through faith in Jesus Christ have all of God's promises to Abraham. They have, in other words, deliverance from this present evil age. Now, we can consider our passage this morning under three headings. First, we see a warning. Second, we see a promise. And third, an inheritance. Once again, we could summarize this message as what God wants us here this morning, here this morning as through faith, we have the promised inheritance. And we'll look at our passage under three headings, warning, promise, and inheritance. Consider with me first the warning. Paul opens up and he says to his readers, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Do you not hear what it says? And he goes on. Before it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it's not clear to me what it means to listen to the law. So Paul says, listen to the law, you who want to be under it. First glance, it's like, what's the law saying, Paul? Tell us. But he wants us to see a rather simple point. What the law shows us in this 
story he tells and this picture he draws on the Old Testament is that through works, we will never receive the promised inheritance. Now, what Paul's doing is he observes an interesting parallel between the situation facing, facing the Galatians, facing us today as Christians, and the situation of Abraham and Hagar. You see, in Genesis, God promised Abraham many descendants, yet Sarah, his wife, was barren. She couldn't have children. And as they got older and older and older, she still hadn't had a child, and they became too old to have children. So they're thinking, okay, uh, we're so old, and God promised us children. Maybe he wants us to do something about it. And so Abraham tried to fulfill that promise through Sarah's servant, Hagar. And she bore to him a son, Ishmael. Now, a question immediately arises. Now, there's two sons. You see, God does fulfill his promise, and he gives them a son through Sarah named Isaac. So the question is then raised, who will inherit the promise? Ishmael or Isaac? In verse 23, Paul draws out this point. But the son of the slave, that is Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman, Isaac, was born through promise. There was two ways the Galatians saw to seek after God's promises. The way of Ishmael, working, seeking on human initiative to get them, or to trust God. And what Paul's trying to say is there's really only one way. If you seek deliverance from this present evil age through the works that you do, you will not get the promise. For the Galatians, that was the temptation of following Jewish food laws, of being circumcised, of trying to obey the law thinking that they might get God's favor, that they might earn his promised presence, earn the secure homeland he promised Abraham. But I suspect for many of us, if not all of us, that's not really the temptation we face. The temptation for us, rather, is to seek deliverance from this present evil age apart from God. We throw ourselves into our work. We throw ourselves into our jobs, into our investments, thinking that if only we get a little bit more, maybe we'll find what we're looking for. If I get the perfect spouse, the perfect job, if I get enough money in the bank account, I'll have peace. I'll have happiness. If I have good enough investments, I won't need to worry. I can have security. I can have comfort. I can have peace. Now, Paul wants to shut all that down. And he's saying, if you go down that path, listen to the law. If you pursue health, security, joy, deliverance from all the evils of this age, apart from God's chosen path, there is nothing there. You're left with only slavery. Slavery to the works you do. Slavery to this world. That is the only option down that path. There is nothing that awaits us. Now, the problem Paul sees is not with the law itself. The law promises life to those who fulfill it completely. The problem isn't 
that the law can't make that promise. The problem is with us. According to Paul in Romans, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. That standard is there. That offer is there, but we can't meet it. No one was able to in Israel. How could the Gentiles in Galatia think that they could do likewise? Think that they could attain it? If we pursue the promises of God, if we pursue an inheritance apart from faith, through the works we do, we are left only with slavery. Yet, Paul doesn't want to leave us without hope. The point he's trying to make is that the promised inheritance comes through faith. So he turns towards the promise. The second point I want us to see in the text this morning is the promise that, Abraham, that Paul in this passage draws our attention to. In verse 28 and on, he writes, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. False teachers came into Galatia and kind of tricked them, saying, you're going down the wrong path. Faith in Jesus Christ will get you nothing. You need to perfectly fulfill the law. You need to be circumcised. But Paul wants to draw the Galatians' attention, our attention today, to the truth that they were destined not for slavery through failed obedience to the law. They were destined, like Isaac, to be children of promise. Paul's burden throughout Galatians, and in this, and in this passage, is to point us to the promised inheritance, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the promised inheritance. The point is this. God did not send Jesus in this world, send his only son only to die for our sins on the cross. He did not send Jesus only to bear our sins as a substitute that we might be reconciled to God. He did do that. And that is essential to the faith we proclaim. God's wrath is against sinners and we need deliverance. And Jesus came to deliver all who believe in him. But the gospel is more than that. The gospel is also that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that none of us could. He lived perfectly under God's law. He lived perfectly before God so that in him, through our union with him, we might receive all of God's promises. Through faith, we have the promised inheritance. Now, that begs a question. What is this inheritance? I've said that it delivers us from the present evil age, but how does that work? Through faith, we have the promised inheritance, but what does that do? What's the deal? Now, the inheritance talked about here, the inheritance talked about throughout the, old, the entire Bible, is not like an inheritance we might receive. It's not a sum of money. It's not a business. It's not a nice car. It's not a home. The inheritance talked about in Galatians and throughout the Bible is exactly what God promised Abraham. 
in Genesis 12 through 17, God gives several promises to Abraham. But we could summarize all of them quite succinctly as this. God promised Abraham a secure homeland dwelling with God. Think about that for a moment. The promised inheritance was God himself. In Genesis 17, God says that he will be Abraham's descendants, God, and they will be his people. They will be in relationship. He will be with them. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. That was the promised inheritance that God himself would be with Abraham. Think about it. The eternal creator God who spoke everything we see into existence from nothing. The one from whom and through whom and for whom all things exist, who upholds this entire universe from falling apart every moment by the very words that he speaks. That God pledged himself in promise to Abraham. And through Christ Jesus, we receive God. It's the promise that God would once again take up center stage in the theater of his glory. And we would forever more delight in, enjoy the splendor of his majesty as we were created to. Now, I mentioned that it was a promise of a secure homeland dwelling with God. It's not that God's going to come into this world and leave it as it is. If we look around us, this is truly a present evil age. It is a broken, fallen world. Sin and death are ever present. Death hounds all of us. And there needs to be an answer to that. The substance of our inheritance promised to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ is that God will not leave this world the way it is. This world is a twisted, distorted husk of the good world that God created it to be. The substance of our inheritance is that God is not going to leave it the way it is, but he has promised to create a new heavens and a new earth to recreate this world without sin, without death, without pain, without suffering. In the Bible, it's often this new creation where we will, where those who believe in Christ will dwell with him is often described as a, a heavenly city. A heavenly city where all of God's people live in perfect unity. Perfect unity in the presence of God. In Isaiah, he describes it as a city where righteousness dwells. That is a city where perfect justice is found, where no injustice is present. It is a city filled with life, with joy. There is no violence in God's holy city. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, John describes it like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned 
for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Through faith we have a promised inheritance. And this is what Paul wants us to see. Through faith, we have the hope of dwelling in a secure homeland free from death, free from pain, free from every evil of this age with God himself. But Paul doesn't want to leave it there. He doesn't want to leave it in the stratosphere. You know, this is the future hope. Just kind of tuck that away. No, he also says that deep, that this inheritance is closely tied with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the deal with that? The Holy Spirit, which the Bible teaches every believer, everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and casts their hope on him, is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And for Paul, the significance of the Holy Spirit is that he is a down payment on all of that. He is a foretaste of this future inheritance. When we receive the Holy Spirit, he regenerates our hearts. That is, he gives us the new birth. He takes away the hardened stone heart of sin that leads us to reject God and gives us a beating heart of flesh. That means that we're no longer slaves to sin. I have the hope that I can be a good husband, that I can love my wife better every day and that I'm not going to continue being a jerk. It is the hope that when we suffer, when the evils of this present age press in around us and seem to crush us, that God has not abandoned us, but he is with us, walking side by side with us. And is that hope, the hope that the Spirit is with us and that we have that promised future inheritance that leads us to persevere in suffering? Indeed, it leads James, in the book of James, to say that we are to take joy in suffering. That seems like a foolish idea. Who delights in suffering? Well, his point is, suffering is just a reminder of the age that is. But we are living for something more. And those sufferings are allowed by God so that we might attain that future glorious inheritance. And that hope comes through the Spirit. He is the down payment, the promise that we will truly receive that age. Paul wants us to see that. We have, through faith, the promise of a future inheritance. And the spirit right now is the down payment saying, you will get that. If you believe in me, I will give you myself. God himself for eternity. Think about that. This age sucks. It hurts. But God promises to deliver us, to be with us, to sustain us to pour out his love upon us. We are too easily content with this age. 
like children who would rather play with a toy Ferrari instead of claiming the real thing. We are content with the imitations and reflections of God's glory instead of yearning for the glory which he created us to enjoy. If someone offered you a cop, the original Mona Lisa painting, would you be content just like taking the frame and being like, okay, I'm good with this. But that's what we do. We're content with the accents, with the frame instead of the masterpiece itself. We are content with the acoustics instead of the voice they're meant to amplify. And Paul wants us to point us forward that we have a greater hope. And this means we need to live differently. For those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, we have that future hope. And Paul's charge is don't live as if you don't have a hope. Don't live as if this age is all that there is. Don't live as if pain and suffering have the final word. They don't. We have the promise of life after death. So death need not scare us. We have the promise of God's good grace in the midst of suffering and lack that he knows our needs. And he promises to provide and sustain us as we sojourn in this present evil age. We're called to live for that age, characterized by holiness, justice, peace, love, and not this evil age characterized by sin. We get to be ambassadors of that future age, radiating its character, its glory in this present age, that others might see and want that, want more than what they see around them. Through faith, we have the promised inheritance. That leads us to three responses this morning. Thinking through that, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we have the promised inheritance. That kind of leaves three possible responses. If you have not yet placed your hope in Jesus Christ, the question this text raises is, will you continue to seek happiness, contentment, security in this broken age? Or will you cast yourself on Jesus Christ? Jesus came 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, died on a Roman cross, and was resurrected that you might not be enslaved this age forever so that you can have deliverance. So the question is, will you continue to trust to live for this present evil age or cast yourself on the mercy of God in Jesus Christ? And if you want that, please talk to me, talk to Fred, talk to Brant, talk to anyone, the person who brought you this morning. The second response is for those of us who are tempted, who are tempted to think we just need to work harder. We just need to do a little bit more and God will give us health and wealth and prosperity. That we can work our way to security and comfort. The response we are called to is give up on dead works. Don't return, don't turn from Christ Jesus back to those ways that never satisfied us in the first place, but cast ourselves wholeheartedly, continually, every day on the mercy of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ. 
and know that he is faithful to give his promises. And for those of us who believe wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the word this morning is hope. Take hope. Death does not have the last word. Pain does not have the last word. God has the last word. And his last word is, behold, I am making all things new. In closing, please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, it is a blessing to be gathered here this morning as your people, united by our common faith. Oh, sorry, that was actually my introductory prayer. (laughs) Lord, you have promised a heavenly inheritance for all who believe in you. Help us to believe this and live out of the hope it gives us. For those here today who do not yet believe in you, we pray that you would give them the hope of peace with you and a future inheritance through faith in Jesus Christ. For us who are tempted to earn our salvation, forgive us for our faithlessness. Help us instead to trust you for all of your promises. For those of us who trust in you in the midst of this present evil age, help us live in light of the hope of a heavenly inheritance you have promised us. Renew our faith in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and help us respond in faith to the message you have given us this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.